this morning, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at baptism and the church. Now, why, did these, why are these coming for baptism today? It's, uh, it's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? When you think about it at first, the idea of dunking people in water, what's that got to do uh, with anything? And yet, from the earliest days in the church, it's been <clears throat> uh, an important issue for those that become Christians. And really what's going to happen today is these people are going to show a picture of what's already happened in their lives. That each one of them have come to a place where they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and now they're going to portray that in a picture. Right? But I want to talk to you about Acts chapter 2. This is way back the early church, the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 1, everybody's in hiding because Jesus is dead and they're all in hiding and he's gone. Yeah, he, 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 he went, returned to heaven and he left them there and they're, they're in the upper room, they're praying and then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and everything changes. Jesus had gathered perhaps 500 followers during his lifetime. But on this day in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, the whole thing is going to explode. The Jewish leaders thought they had put an end to it. They thought they had sorted the whole thing out and it was done. Uh, it, it was over. Uh, they ha it hadn't begun yet. And it really begins at this point. And Interestingly enough, in, all the, in the midst of all this mayhem uh, that's going on, I suppose, in the day of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit coming and speaking in tongues and all the accusations that went on, in the midst of all this, they take time to baptize 3,000 people. That makes it important, doesn't it? They take time to baptize 3,000 people. So let's look at the text. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at baptism briefly, and then I'm going to give you uh, just three points uh, as far as what the church is and what the church does uh, after that. And then we're going to go straight into our baptism, all right? So Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Right? <clears throat> so they gladly received the word. Isn't that interesting? Because here you have people who have the picture in their minds, because it's very recent, it's only 50 days ago. They have the picture in their mind of Jesus hanging on a cross, a criminal, obviously, because there's no smoke without fire. Anyone that gets crucified must have done something wrong. And they have the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross uh, 50 days before, and, um, <clears throat> but what happens to them is that <clears throat> they gladly receive his word. Why? Because they were saved. They were born again. They lived a religion that told them to do and do and do and do. And if they were honest, they weren't able. And now something has come and said, it's all done. It was all done on the cross. And what you need to do is trust him and your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven. And they're pretty glad. And if you've been saved, there was that moment when you realized that truth that you were pretty glad to. That's just very real, the fact that, listen, my sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to him. He is mine and I am his. And everything has changed in their lives. And they're pretty glad about it. They're pretty excited about it. So they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. That is a lot. of. We're going to baptize uh, eight, eight today, right? It'll take us a few minutes to do it. 
to baptize 3,000 people. And by the way, baptism in the Bible is always by immersion. It's never by sprinkling. Sprinkling would be handy, wouldn't it? You just, you just throw some water on everybody and they, and they get baptized. But that, that doesn't carry the picture at all. The picture is the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ and the people that have actually uh, followed him in that. And so sprinkling doesn't, doesn't do it. So 3,000 people got baptized by immersion. Now, I'm sure there was more than one person baptizing. Uh, <clears throat> there would have been a lot of people baptizing, but it took a while for them to do. Why? Well, because it's pretty important. It's pretty important to God, and it was pretty important to the, these people, right? And then verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly means earnestly. They attended assiduously to all the exercises. They were serious about this. They didn't just get baptized and go out their merry way and do their own thing. They got baptized and they got involved. They went for it, if you like. They moved ahead in their spirituality, right? And what do they continue steadfastly? And well, the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the teaching of the apostles. The apostles began to teach and they began to listen. And they had fellowship and breaking of bread. They had fellowship one with another. They had the Lord's tables, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So there's three thoughts there that they, they, they continued in. They continued in doctrine, teaching, pretty important. They continued uh, in <clears throat> uh, fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Let's pray and then we'll look at it. Father, bless us now as we look to your word. Lord, may we open, our hearts be open to receive all that you have for us. May each one that's here, Lord, come to that sweet place, Lord, uh, where they realize their need of you and, and cry out to you in salvation. And Lord, may those that already have, may they be confirmed and affirmed and encouraged and strengthened in their faith. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so first of all, <clears throat> let me grab my clicker here. First of all, they were baptized. And... <clears throat> Uh, why were they baptized? Well, they had repented and been washed of their sins, and they knew it. Their sins were gone. If you're coming for baptism this morning, it's not to wash anything away. It's already been done. It was completed on the cross. Jesus did uh, the work on the cross. And what you're doing is now, because Jesus has done the work on, on, the, on the cross, uh, you're actually coming to be baptized and to make it known. Listen, my sins are forgiven. I've been born again by faith in him. I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. There's, there's nothing of you involved in that. Jesus did it all. If you or I could have done it, uh, he would have left us to do it. But it was impossible. Only Jesus could do it for us. And if you're not saved, listen, he, he reaches out to you in salvation. The whole picture of baptism today uh, is him reaching out as far as salvation is concerned, bringing you to the place where you understand your need. And basically, all these people that were in Jerusalem understand some things. They understood that they were sinners. Now, what does it mean to be a sinner? It means simply this, to go your own way and do your own thing. Now, we could elaborate. We could give you very technical definition, definitions of it. But to be a sinner means to go your own way and do your own thing. And every person that's ever walked on this planet apart from Jesus Christ, has gone their own way and done their own thing. Some have, some have done it in <clears throat> wicked ways. Others have done it in not-so-wicked ways, but everybody's done it. Everybody's gone their own way and done their own thing. So they understood that. They, they understood, too, that there was a price to pay for sin. You know, it wasn't hard for the Jewish mindset to understand there was a price to pay. <coughs> they, were, they were educated, well-educated in the idea that there had to be a sacrifice for sin. 
that if you did something wrong, you ended up at the temple and there had to be a sacrifice. And every year there was a Passover lamb uh, that was sacrificed. And, you know, they understood that there was a price to be paid for sin. Well, there's still a price to be paid for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And then it says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That because of sin, uh, we're guilty. But not only are we guilty, we deserve hell. What a terrible thought. All the, all, all the worst things that ever happened to anybody in their lives don't compare to going to hell. And I'm sure there, there's some rough stuff that's happened in your lives. But all the bad things that ever happened in anybody's life don't compare to going to hell. And you, know, and you, and you, and you want to say, well, that's old, that's old school. That's, you know, that, that's in the olden days. But Jesus, the most enlightened mind that ever walked this earth, the, 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 the one that was God and knew heaven, he, he taught us more about hell than anybody else. And he said, don't go there. Whatever you have to do, don't go there. Chop your hand off, pluck your eye out, but don't go to hell. Whatever you have to do, avoid going to hell. The, the, the problem is, for, for human beings, there's no way to avoid hell because we've sinned. We can't pay the price for our sin. And so these had understood that not only was there were they sinners? Not only was there a price for their sin, but somebody had died to pay the price for that sin. That when Jesus was hanging on that cross and Peter explained to them what was going on, they realized, he died for my sins. He paid my price. I don't have to go to hell because of him. Do you remember that moment in your life when you realized you weren't going to hell because Jesus died for your, to pay the price for your sins? I remember it very clearly. I'm telling you, the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. Whatever, whatever happened in life, I wasn't going to hell. You know, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether my plans worked out or my plans didn't work out, I wasn't going to hell. And, and you know, for, for, for a while I was floating on that reality because Jesus paid the price. But there was another step involved in it too. They had come to the place where they trusted what Jesus did. They weren't depending upon themselves. They weren't depending upon their good works. They weren't depending upon the fact that they were good Jews. They were depending completely upon what that man on that cross did 50 days before. Jesus was, <clears throat> was what they were depending upon. So they had trusted him as their savior. They were born again by faith and they were pretty happy. <clears throat> they were glad. They weren't dragged to the baptismal. They were, they were glad to go to him. They were happy because of what happened in their lives. <clears throat> they were now Jesus people. And they wanted to identify with him. Yeah, we belong to him. He is ours and we're his. And we, we, want, we, we want to identify with him. And it was a step of obedience. They were just saying, yeah, that's what he wants. And anything he wanted at that moment, they'd have given him. By the way, that's a precious moment in your life when you come to the place where anything Jesus wants, you'd give him. And baptism is like that. It's you deciding, look, I understand that as far as humanity goes and as far as uh, we go, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of awkward. Who wants to get wet on a Sunday morning uh, before your lunch? Uh, but if Jesus wants it, then I want it too. That's what these are, that are coming for baptism today are saying. Right? The second thing is they were earnestly doing some things. After this, right? Um, they continued steadfastly in the, the apostles' doctrine. Now, what's doctrine mean? Doctrine just simply means teaching. You know, they had all the Old Testament background they could handle at this stage. But now, there's a new covenant. There's a New Testament. Something new has happened in the cross. 
And what Jesus had done is he had begun to teach the apostles. Remember when he sent the Holy Spirit, when he told them about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15 and 16, 14, 15 and 16, he told them that he would teach them all things. So the teaching of Jesus was going on for these apostles and they were beginning to teach, they were beginning to teach doctrine. And that's where you have all the New Testament and the letters and everything else that come after this. Uh, this is all the teaching that, God, that Jesus wanted to give to the disciples, but they weren't ready for it very often uh, when it came. And so they began to learn doctrine. Now, in our day and age, doctrine has a bad name, doesn't it? It's, it's divisive. <clears throat> now, doctrine's important. It's teaching. We need teaching. We need truth. We desperately need truth in this day and age. You know, I, I am amazed, I'm constantly amazed at the wild, crazy thinking that goes for, <clears throat> for sanity in our day and age. You know, not just in the gender issue, but in politics and right across the board, this, this wild, crazy thinking that is just accepted now. now. How do you counter that? How do you counter the onslaught of it? And we have an onslaught, don't we? <clears throat> we have an internet. We have social media. We have all kinds of programs. All Everybody's pushing some agenda on us, trying to make us think in a certain way. How do you counter that? How do you stay sane in a crazy world? Well, you need truth. This, this is what will keep you sane in a crazy world. Aren't you glad that God put it in black and white for us? That God put it down on paper so that we could actually take it with us and live. You need truth. I need truth. But he's not just left us with the book by itself. He's given us his Holy Spirit to interpret it. And, and, and that's what he does. He, he, he takes the word and he interprets the word. And he gives the church a very important part in that. Now, it's not the only part of it. It's not the only part. You need to be reading your Bible and studying for yourself. The Bible tells you that. But church is an important part of the truth for you. First Timothy 3.15 says this. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar place as far as truth is concerned. It's a pillar and ground. It's the support of the truth. Like, if you look around the room here, uh, on the edge, what's, what's inside those big steel beams, right? And, and they're, they're big steel beams. That holds the whole thing together. Those are pillars that actually support it, that hold it. If you took one of them out, I'm not sure how quickly it would happen, but what would happen is it would begin to sag and it would come down in that place because it needs the pillars. One of the pillars of your faith and my faith is the church. We need it. Now, I understand that what's happened in our day and age is uh, come to the place where, you know, a church is... You need the church. These that are getting baptized today need the church. Truth is important in our lives. It makes a difference. Truth can be found in many places, but the church is the place God says holds the truth for us. Uh, the church supports us in keeping truth alive in our hearts. And the church needs to stay true to the word of God. It needs to be preaching the word of God. You see, all the people that get baptized today won't ultimately end up in LifeGate. They're going to go homes for some of them. They're going to go to different places. They'll move for work or whatever. But you know what? They'll always need a church. And they'll always need a church that preaches the word of God, that holds up the word of God and strengthens and helps them as far as that's concerned. In a world that's shifting rapidly from every norm, we need the anchor of the church more than ever. If you're baptized today, you know what you're doing. 
You're saying, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. But part of what he's made available to you for you to continue on in the faith and continue to grow uh, is church. You'll need church. You'll need to be involved in church. There's, uh, you can't do without it. Yes, I preach every Sunday, so obviously I have to be in church. Right? Uh, I, I, I don't get that choice. But if I wasn't preaching every Sunday, I'd still need to be in church. You need to be in church. And I, I understand, in our day and age, we're busy, aren't we? We're, I, I, I think we're busy because of this. We have so many choices of things we can do at any given time. There weren't all that many choices before. <clears throat> uh, but there's lots of choices of things we can do. But we need to make an importance of the fact that we need to be in church. And if you're online this morning, I'm glad you're joining us online. But you know, that's different from actually being present with the people of God. We need to be in church. Church is important to us. Being committed, being involved, being a part of it uh, is actually important to us. Seeing a phenomenon, I've mentioned it to you before, and I'll mention it to you again because it bothers me greatly. Deconstructing our faith. I'm sure you've heard the term, you've seen the term uh, on social media where people are deconstructing their faith. And the whole thought of it just grieves me so greatly. Why would you deconstruct something that's so important to you? Why would you deconstruct? See, the church's job is to build up your faith, to encourage you, to strengthen you in your faith, to help you to come into a sweeter place with Christ so that you're walking with him and he's leading and guiding in your life. That's the church's job. The church's job is not to run your life. The church's job is not just to tell you what to do. The church's job is to bring you into a sweeter faith, a deeper trust with Jesus Christ so that you can walk with him, so that wherever you go, that relationship directs your life. Uh, but part of that will be you being in the church. But here's what's happening. Because people are getting hurt in the church, right? I'm not talking about life. I'm talking about the church at large. People are getting hurt in the church. They're getting, uh, they're, for, for a multitude of reasons, they're getting hurt in the church. I'm not sure why that should be such a big surprise to us, by the way. Because people always hurt people, don't they? People always get it wrong. It's just you know what, we have an expectation of the church that the church should be perfect and the people in the church should be perfect because they're Christians. The Bible doesn't ever say that, by the way. The Bible never tells us that. The Bible never tells us that the people in the church are going to be, uh, be perfect. In fact, the Bible says that we're not to trust in man. But what happens is people trust in the church. And then when they get hurt, what I'm seeing is they start deconstructing their faith. They start pulling it apart and examining it and looking at it. Now, why would you do that? The most valuable thing you and I have is that faith, that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That relationship where I walk with him, where I wake up in the morning and he's there. And I walk with him through the days and I share the problems of the day with him and I share the joys of the day with him and he's there. And I open his word and he speaks to me. And he's there. And my life is different because of Jesus. Don't ever deconstruct your faith. Guard your faith. Do you realize that, that faith can be lost? Let me read you some verses. 1 Timothy 1.19, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So you violate your conscience over and over again. What will happen is you wreck your faith. You wreck that sweet trust in him. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, departing from the faith. Listen, 
I don't ever want to depart from the faith. I want, I want to walk with him till the day I close my eyes. And when I close my eyes in this world, I want to wake up in his presence and not be surprised because I've been walking with him for years. Your faith is the most precious thing that you have. Don't play with it. Don't mess with it. You know, faith is like a, is like a fire. You see, Ori's van has on it, the name of his ministry is Faith on Fire, right? And it's an interesting title, which is, uh, it's a catchy title, but faith is like a fire. You know, and when it, when it comes to you having a fire, there's several things you can do with a fire. You can put a fire out in several ways. You can put a fire out by putting water on it, by dousing it, can't you? Uh, you can put a fire out by starving it of oxygen. And you can put a fire out by starving it of fuel. It'll just go out if you don't give it those things. But <clears throat> you know what? If, if, if you make sure it gets enough oxygen, make sure it gets enough fuel, and make sure it gets enough <clears throat> uh, of what it needs, it'll burn bright. We, we, we hit home with a burner, and then we use coal. And as long as I keep the coal going and keep the air going into it and don't let anybody put water on it, our house stays warm. Your faith is like that. Nourish it. Strengthen it. Build it up. One of the ways you'll do that is by being in church. But certainly, don't just deconstruct it. Don't try and take it apart. Why would you do that? Why, why, why would you let anybody do that for you? By the way, social media has great blessings to it. It also has great danger into it. You can listen to the wrong stuff and it can hurt your faith, like putting water on your faith. Be careful what you're listening to. You want the word of God. You want to walk with God. All right. um, and then they had fellowship. You know, fellowship's important to us. But the world is no friend to faith. It never will be. It can't be. Because what happens is faith unsettles the world. If you and I are right that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could have a home in heaven, right? and um, apart from that, everybody's going to hell, then the world's in trouble. And as soon as you start talking about your faith, they kind of know that. And so the world's never going to be uh, your friend as far as that's concerned. <clears throat> Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, uh, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We were never intended to live alone. We were always intended to live in community. And when it comes to your faith and building your faith and <clears throat> getting the fires of your faith going, you know what? You need other believers. You need other people. You need to be around Christians. And you, <clears throat> and, and, and you can say, no, I can manage by myself. But long term, you can't. The Bible says that you need it. By the way, here's, here's a good rule for you and I to take. If the Bible says it, it's just true. And whether I feel it or not, doesn't matter. What the Bible is saying is just true. And then number four, they prayed. Now, what does it mean that they prayed? Well, they lived in dependence upon God. They didn't have a lot of the things that we have. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have programs. Uh, they didn't have celebrity speakers. All they had was Jesus and the gospel, and they prayed. They looked to him. They depended upon him. So... <clears throat> Let me say three things you need if you're getting baptized today. And even if you've been baptized, three things that you need. You need doctrine. You need the teaching of the church. You need the word of God being preached. 
You need it. You absolutely need it. You need fellowship. You need other believers to strengthen you and encourage you. And, you know, the day you get baptized is a great day. It's an exciting day. But you know what? It's just the beginning of something. You need, um, uh, you need the fellowship of other believers. You need, you need somebody else to come alongside you and put an arm around you sometimes and say, listen, brother, I think you're going wrong. You need somebody. You need other people that are involved in your life. You're not an island. You can't survive all by yourself. And you need prayer. That dependence upon God played all the time in your life. Let this be a reminder to us as we see these come for baptism today. And maybe, maybe you're, you're kind of... Fast is the word we just read, as you used to be. Maybe you need to say, yeah, you know what, I need, to, I need to kind of sharpen up. This is important. This is, this is pretty important in my life. I need, I need to sharpen things up in my life. I need to be steadfast about the things that are important. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, would you bless us now? We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this people. And, oh, Lord, would you work in our hearts and bring us to the place, Lord, where we're rejoicing, where we're happy and glad to be saved like these people were, where we're, uh, Lord, uh, taking on board doctrine, where we're enjoying fellowship, and, oh, Lord, where our prayer life is a sweet thing. Now, bless these that are coming for baptism this morning. Put your hand upon each one, Lord, and I pray that you would use this moment in their lives and use their lives for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.